listening to The Thief, a sermon series about our enemy and the ways he attacks us. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Person sitting next to you and tell them that they really ought to be excited. Yeah, yeah, they get to sit by you today, so you know you're blessing them with your presence. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I'm so glad that you are joining us today. We are in a series that we are calling The Thief. The Thief. Now, I, I don't know of anyone. Who, who likes a thief? I, I don't really know anybody who, who likes that. Uh, last week, a couple of people uh, gave uh, me some, some goodies, you know what I mean? Uh, they gave me some goodies. I got somebody who gave me some brownies uh, last week. They were amazing. And then I had somebody who gave me a bag of candy, and in that bag of candy were just some of God's best candy that he's ever made it. Uh, there were peanut butter M&Ms. Anybody like those peanut butter M&Ms? Yeah, there were peanut butter M&Ms in there. Uh, there were, there was bubble gum in there. I like bubble gum. Anybody like bubble gum? Just me, a couple people, bubble gum. And then there were Jolly Ranchers. Anybody, you like those Jolly Ranchers? And then there was some nasty stuff in there, like like Andy's chocolate mints. Anybody agree with me? That's just a gross, right? They were in there. They're nasty. And then there were also some chocolate turtles, you know, like I, I think that's what they're called. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like anybody said, gross. And so I'm looking through this bag of goodies that I got, and I'm like, wow, peanut butter M&Ms, wow. I got Jolly Ranchers, wow. I got some bubble gum. And then I, I see the, you know, the Andy's mints and the, and the, uh, the turtles, and I look at them, and I was like, why would somebody give me this? Why would somebody give me this? And so Amanda, she looks at me and she says, well, those aren't for you. They're for me. And then she, she kind of shakes her head at me and says, I'm so selfish, you know. And so I kind of hung my head. And after about two and a half seconds of soul searching, I said, well, it's kind of selfish of you to think that these are yours, right? These Andy Minstead turtles. And so luckily the swelling went down in my eye uh, before the next day. Uh, but anyway, uh, somebody got us some goodies, and I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I love brownies, I love Jolly Ranchers, I love bubble gum, and I love peanut butter M&Ms. And so again, I got those last week, last Sunday. And Tuesday, I went to this bag of goodies uh, to try to get me some treats, and when I opened up the bag, all the peanut butter M&Ms were gone. Gone. Not only that, but all the bubble gum that was in there, all the bubble gum was gone. And not only that, all the Jolly Ranchers were, were gone. And I'm sitting here thinking, I didn't get a single one. The only thing that was left in there were them nasty Andy mints and chocolate turtles. You know what I'm saying? So I begin to think, did somebody break into my house? Did somebody break into our house and take all the candy that had value? Am I in danger? Is there somebody still in my house right now? And so I'm kind of looking around, see if there's some more valuable stuff there. The TV's still there. Computer's still there. The only thing that was still there was that was the nasty, nasty candy. And so I'm thinking, man, what in the world happened? I've got to figure out what happened here. And so I go to the pantry, and I get out the peanut butter M&M, and I get me a little sniff of that peanut butter M&M, you know, so that I could get on the scent. And so I'm walking around my house, you know what I'm saying, trying to find this candy, and I'm led to my seven-year-old's room, to Sadie Kate's room. And so I go into Sadie Kate's room, and I notice her blanket on her bed has this lump in it, like something's underneath there. And so I pull back the blanket, and when I pull back the blanket, do you know what I find? 
empty wrappers of all the bubble gum, empty wrappers of all the peanut butter M&Ms, and, and my own daughter stole from me, stole from me. I felt violated. I felt betrayed. And so she doesn't know it yet, but in a couple of weeks when Halloween gets here, vengeance will be mine. Vengeance will be mine. It's going to happen. But, you know, we, we, we can kind of laugh about my kids stealing candy from me. If you really even want to call it stealing because it was on our kitchen table, kind of community bowl, you know what I'm saying? But we can laugh about my kid maybe stealing some candy. You can, we, you can laugh about your kid maybe taking some candy from you. But did you know that you have a very real enemy? You have a very real enemy, and our enemy, he is a thief. And our enemy's not trying to steal candy from you. Our enemy literally wants to steal your soul. He wants to rob you of every good thing that God has for you because he hates God. And since he hates God, he hates you because just like we said last week, you are created in the image and likeness of God. Every time the enemy looks at you, he sees God. He sees the one he has purposely set himself against, and so he hates you. He hates me. And Jesus really tries to warn us about this thief, this enemy, by saying this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. What is the thief's purpose? It's only to steal, it's only to kill, and it's only to destroy. The devil is not your friend. He is your enemy. And what's sad, what's so sad is that the enemy has done a very good job convincing people that he does not exist. The New York Times published a a report recently that talked about the diminishing belief in the devil among Americans. And they said that 62% of Americans do not believe that the devil is a real being. They surveyed a random thousand different people, and of those thousand people, 62% of the people who were surveyed agreed that they believed Satan was not a real being, but rather just a symbol of evil. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you today that the devil is very real. He's not just a symbol. He is very real, and he is coming after you. He is coming after me. He is coming after us 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Stay alert! You see that exclamation point? Trying to warn us. Watch out. Why? Because your great enemy, who? The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 also reminds us, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. See, there is this world all around you, this realm all around me, all around us, that we cannot see. And in this realm right now, there is a war that is raging, this war that is going on. It's a very real war. I want you to know our struggle today is very real. Our enemy is very real. And so we got to be prepared. We have to be prepared. And that's what this series is about we're talking about our enemy and his strategy so that when he attacks not 
if he attacks or he might attack or he could attack. We are studying his strategy so that when he attacks, it is going to happen. So that when he attacks you, when he attacks me, we can stand firm. And last week we said, you know what, our enemy is a deceiver. He is the deceiver. He tries to deceive us. He deceives us by getting us to question the Word of God. Then he deceives us because he twists the Word of God. And today I want you to know what we're going to talk about is how our enemy is also the accuser. He is the accuser. Satan likes to attack your heart and my heart with accusations. See, folks, here's something about me that you might not know, but I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not perfect uh, by any means. There are times when I get things incredibly wrong. There are times when I really get upset. There are times when I just, again, I mess up tremendously. This past week, uh, I, I was trying to get Sadie, Kate, my seven-year-old, again, to go to sleep. And seriously, that is the most stressful time at my house, trying to get my kids in bed. Anybody, are you there? Man, it's so stressful trying to get my kids in bed. And so I told Sadie Kate, I said, Sadie Kate, I said, look, I'm going to give you 30 minutes to watch your iPad. Go lay in your bed. I'm going to give you 30 minutes to watch your iPad. Do you want 30 minutes to watch your iPad? And she said, no, I want longer than 30 minutes. And I said, that is not an option. That is not an option. Well, you know what she did? She threw, her, she threw a fit, just like her mama. She, she learned it from her mama, right? So she threw a fit. I mean, she's throwing stuff. She's crying. She's screaming, throwing a fit. And so I said, Sadie, if you don't stop, I'm going to take the iPad from you for two days. And guess what? She didn't stop. She didn't stop. So I walked right over to her. I took that. I snatched it. I snatched that iPad from her, and I walked over to our, our safe. Beep, 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 beep. Opened it up, and I put it in there. Slammed the door and, and Sadie Kate washed it all. <laughs> I thought I would make her be quiet, but it made it worse. She just got worse and worse and worse. And so it's, this is hard to believe. But for two days, she didn't have her iPad. And for two days, she really didn't talk to me. Now, if you know Sadie Kate, again, this, that's hard to believe because Sadie Kate likes to talk. Sadie Kate likes to talk. And so she did not talk to me for two days. And so at the end of those two days, Sadie Kate, she comes to me. And here's what she says. She says, Daddy, I'm sorry I was being difficult. She said, but you really hurt my feelings. And I said, Sadie Kate, how did I hurt your feelings? And she said, you remember when you took my iPad from me? I said, yeah. And she said, well, you said I was being dumb. And I'm not dumb, Daddy. Now, I don't know if I said it or not, but I know there's been plenty of times when I've lost my cool and said a lot of things that I shouldn't have said. And so you know what I did? I scooped her up in my arms, and I said, Sadie Kate, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, you're, you're not dumb. I said, your daddy's dumb. And she said, is it because you're from Pearl? I'm just kidding. <laughs> she didn't say that. I thought it would be funny. So I said, Sadie Kate, I said, I said, I, I'm so sorry I said that. I didn't say if I said it or what. I just said, I'm so sorry I said that. I said, I said, you are not dumb. I said, your, your daddy shouldn't have said that. He's dumb. And Sadie Kate looked at me, and she said, you're not, you're not dumb, daddy. I love you. But in that moment, I felt like God was showing me, Robert, you still have a lot of work that needs to be done in your heart and in your life. Because you need to understand that your words can hurt. Your words can hurt. 
And so it hurt to hear, honestly, that I had hurt my little girl's feelings. And so I prayed that night. I actually prayed with her. I said, God, help me to be a better father. I said, God, help me show Sadie Kate a, a better reflection of who you are. Father, help me be a better father. I, I went to God in prayer about it, but I felt like in that moment, again, it was God's Holy Spirit that was convicting me to let me see certain things about myself. And so again, I went to God in prayer, but listen to me, after that moment, after that moment, for the next several days, after I had already taken it to God, I experienced these unbelievable accusations from the enemy, from the enemy. Accusations saying, Robert, you're a terrible father. Robert, she's going to remember that for the rest of her life. Robert, you're terrible. You're a pastor. You don't have any business preaching. You don't have any business trying to be a good example. You're not a man of God. And folks, truth be known, every Sunday before I come out here to preach, there's this battle that takes place in my heart where the enemy tells me you're not good enough to preach, where the enemy tells me you, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing this. The enemy brings accusations against me over and over and over again, and it's in those moments that I have to speak the promises of God in my life. I really do. Last week we looked at this verse, but we lo only looked at a, a little part of it. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, this is one of the one of the verses that I have to speak over my life. But it says, but in that coming day, no weapon that is formed against you will succeed. And he goes on to say, you will silence every voice raised up to what? To accuse you. There are times in my life, and I know there are times in your life, where you and I have to say, not today, Satan, not tomorrow, not any day. I have to silence every voice that the enemy brings up against me to accuse me. We have to do that. And the way that you do it is by standing on the Word of God. You use the Word of God, again, to silence the enemy's voice. Because that's what he does. He wants to accuse you, he is the accuser. John the revelator, here's what he said in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For, for and watch this, watch this, for the accuser of brothers, of our brothers and sisters. That Greek word right there that's translated for accusers, it's diablos, which actually means devil. It means slanderer. It means accuser. It's found 35 times in the New Testament. But he goes on to say, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. See, folks, Satan has been defeated by the risen Christ. Satan has been hurled down. But just because he's been hurled down doesn't mean that he stops. He continues to accuse us day after day, night after night. He hurls accusations against us. And what's interesting about the accuser is this, is that before you sin, he lies to you. Before you sin, he lies to you. He says, it's okay if you do this. You deserve it. It's okay to, 
to raise your voice. It's okay to yell. It's okay to fight. It's okay to be angry. They, they really hurt you. It's okay to say this. It's okay to do this. It's okay to lie. Everybody's doing it. No one will catch you. Again, when he's talking to you about sin, he lies to you. But then after you sin, you know what he does? He changes his tone. And it's in that moment that he begins to say things like, why in the world did you do that? You're such a terrible person. You're such a horrible person. I can't believe you. And you call yourself a Christian? You're no good. God doesn't love you. God will never use you again. Before you sin, the devil lies to you. But after you sin, what he does is he accuses you. In fact, if you're taking notes and you want to write this down again, when, when, the devil, when the devil talks to you about God, he lies. When the devil talks to you about God, he lies. Remember last week he said, did God really say that in the garden? Did God really say that? God didn't really mean that. When he talks to you about God, he lies. But when the devil talks to you about you, he accuses. He accuses. You're no good. You're pathetic. You're unworthy. You're unlovable. And so how in the world do we overcome the voice of the accuser? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And to do it, we're going to look at a very uh, uh, an interesting story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Zechariah. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, uh, chapter 3. But as you're turning there, kind of let me give you some, some background to the story in this story, in this story, in this passage, Zechariah has this vision. He has this vision and he sees a heavenly courtroom. How many of y'all have ever been in a courtroom? You've been in a courtroom. Can't that be stressful in and of itself? So imagine this situation. There's this heavenly courtroom and there are four different characters. First of all, you've got God. God is one of the characters in this vision, and God is actually the judge in this courtroom. He's the judge. Then there's a guy by the name of Joshua, and Joshua is the high priest. He is the high priest of the nation of Israel, and in this vision, Joshua is actually on trial. He is the defendant. He's the defendant. Then you've got Satan, and Satan is the prosecutor. Satan is the prosecutor. Satan is the one who's trying to convince the judge, trying to convince God of Joshua's guilt. He's, he's the accuser. And there's something pretty interesting uh, about this story uh, is, that, is that Satan really appears to have a case. Satan really does. He, he appears to have a case because Satan is trying to say that Joshua, the high priest, is wearing dirty robes. Is wearing dirty robes, and the high priest is supposed to always wear clean robes. He's always supposed to wear clean clothes because dirt and filth in the Bible, they were always symbolic of sin. And so Joshua is wearing dirty robes. Satan is trying to accuse Joshua, and so Satan is before God, and Satan is basically saying, Look, God, don't you see these dirty robes? Don't you see these dirty clothes? Don't you see that he is guilty? And so look at verse 1. The Bible says this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now let me stop for just a second because who is this angel of the Lord? This angel of the Lord is a 
Old Testament appearance of Christ. It's called a Christophany. A Christophany, the Old Testament is full of Christophanies, of these appearances of Christ before the New Testament. If you remember in the book of Daniel, there's this moment where three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are thrown into a fiery furnace. They have been bound. They are tied up and thrown in. King Nebuchadnezzar watches all of this take place. And as King Nebuchadnezzar is looking into the furnace and looking into the fire, he doesn't see three boys bound up. He sees four people actually dancing around in this fire. And so he says this fourth person looks like one of the sons of the gods. And so the angel of the Lord in Zechariah, this is Christ. And so it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to what? To accuse him. To accuse him. He's there to accuse Joshua. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. It is, it's, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, what's happening is this angel of the Lord says, you know what, Joshua may be guilty, he may be guilty, but he is being saved from punishment. Now, here's, here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Look at verse 3. It says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel of the Lord. See, Joshua should have been clean, but he's dirty. He should have been clean, but he's dirty. Now, have you ever been somewhere where you just really felt way underdressed for the occasion? You ever been there? You ever been there? I remember a couple years ago before we had Lawson, Amanda and I decided we were going to take Brianna and Sadie to the coast. We were going to go to the coast. Uh, but when we got to the coast, it was raining. It had been raining, and it was going to rain really the whole time we were there just for a couple days. Uh, but luckily, the Holiday Inn that we were staying in had an indoor swimming pool. And so I say luckily because that's what Sadie Kate loves to do. Sadie Kate loves to swim. She loves being in the water. And so that's where she wanted to be. And so there was this one day, me and her, we were going to go down to the swimming pool. And so uh, Sadie Kate got all of her gear, and she wanted to wear her, her arm floaties down there. She wanted to wear her flip-flops, her goggles, even her this floaty that goes around her waist, you know what I mean? She looked ridiculous, but she looked cute. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's how it is. And so, so she's wearing all this stuff. And so I grab the pool noodle and I grab our little picnic basket or whatever you call it that's got towels and sunscreen, even though we're inside. And so uh, I go, I, we're going down there to the swimming pool. And so we splishy splashy for an hour or two. Then it's back to the room prepping for the barbecue or where we were going to go eat. That's a wrap. Anyway, uh, so we're, uh, we're getting ready. We're getting ready to, you know, we're going to get ready to go out. But as we're getting ready to leave the pool to go back to our room, you know, I get Sadie Kate out of the pool, and she's freezing. You know what I'm saying? She's freezing, so I have to put a towel over her. And so she can't help me carry anything. She wore it all down there, so it was real easy to get there. But she can't seem to help me carry anything back up to the room. So what do I do? i got to put those, those floaties that, you know, go on up here. I had to put them on my, you know, little like punching gloves on what I'm wearing them right there. Then I put the one that goes around your waist on my muscle, on my bicep, but I almost busted because my bicep, my bicep. Anyway, so I got all that, and then I got our picnic basket. I got a towel wrapped around my, my waist, you know what I'm saying? And I got a pool noodle, and I'm carrying everything, and my, my feet are wet. And so how many of y'all ever walked in some flip-flops when they're wet? Squeaky, 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 squeaky. Squeak, right? That's how it is. So we start walking out of this, out of this pool room. Squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. We get to the foyer, and I don't know 
if there was like some kind of business conference that was happening out there and they broke for lunch because I'm squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. And I'm looking, I got all this stuff. I walk out into the foyer and there's all these people that are dressed fancy and they're wearing like business suits and all that. And I stopped for a second. And I was like, it is what it is. Squeaky, 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 squeaky. So I go over to the elevator, and I press the elevator button, and I can just feel all the stares, you know, from people because I got floaties. You know, I'm like, I'm a grown man wearing floaties. And so I'm like, I just really felt ridiculous. I felt Sadie Kay didn't care. She's got her towel on, but me, squeaky, 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 squeak. So anyway, I just really felt underdressed, felt ridiculous. And so can you imagine those standing in front of God? I mean, we just be, let's just be honest. We're, we'd be underdressed for the occasion. Because God is holy. He is perfect. He is holy. That's how he, that's how he is. I can't help but think, again, Joshua is standing before God. And I can't help but think that he just feels a little bit of shame. Not only is he not dressed properly, but then there's this accuser. There's Satan casting and hurling all these accusations, pointing out all the things that he did wrong. And if I was standing in front of God, again, for me, it, it, it would be like you called your kids names. <laughs> you were a terrible example. You hurt those people over there. You, you did some things you shouldn't have done, Robert. Robert, didn't you let those people down I can just hear the voice of the enemy and I can hear my hear those voices I can feel myself if I was in that situation just kind of sinking down in my chair in shame and I can't help but think again Joshua was there and if you were in that situation maybe you'd feel the same way because he'd be hurling accusations against you I don't know what those accusations would be maybe he'd say hey that time you lied you were a liar you were a cheater you committed adultery you stole you did this you did that but he would be hurling accusations against you in an attempt to shame you and make you feel condemnation that's what he does he is a the accuser of the brethren the accuser of God's people he does it day in and day out now before we look at the rest of the story I want to show you some really good news so we looked at who Satan is Satan is our accuser but I want you to know who Jesus is See, Satan is the accuser. He is our accuser. But you know who Jesus is? Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. What, what is that? What does that mean? It means we've got somebody who pleads our case before the Father. And who is it? It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See, folks, we've got an accuser. But we also have an advocate. We've got somebody who comes to our defense to help us to say again, not today, Satan. That one is mine. Again, Satan is our accuser. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus comes to the defense of Joshua, and look at what happens in verse 4 of Zechariah chapter 3. The Bible says this, The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I've taken away your sin. I've taken it away, and I will put fine garments on you. <laughs> Do you see what happens here? 
The angel of the Lord says, yes, you're guilty. Yes, you're guilty. But you know what? I forgive you. I'm taking away all the evidence of that past sin, that past shame, and I'm putting on new garments on you, and I'm putting them on you not because you did anything to deserve them, not because you're good, but because I am good. That's what Jesus is basically saying. Take off those filthy clothes and put on these new clothes, these clothes of righteousness. And what's amazing is that this story perfectly parallels the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. See, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story about this man who had two sons. And one son goes to the father and says, give me what's mine now. I want to get out of this house. I don't want to live according to your rules. Give me what's mine right now. And so the father gives it to the son. And the son goes off. He says, I want to live the way that I want to live. So he goes off and he lived in the world. He lived wildly, partied hard rolled around in the dirt, in the mud, in a pig pen. He's rolling around in sin, living in sin. But one day, the Bible says he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. He said, I messed up. What in the world have I done? What in the world was I thinking? And listen, I I think that's probably where some of us are right now. What in the world did I do? What in the world was I thinking this this isn't what I really I really wanted I can't help but think that there are some of us who know that we have messed up this son was hurting because of his sin and the scriptures say again that he came to his senses he realized that even the hired servants in my father's house have it better than me maybe I'll go back and maybe my father will make me as one of his servants and so the son starts back off going home. He starts going back home. And so as he gets there, he doesn't realize, as he gets to the town, he does not even realize that his father has been looking every day for him to return. Every day his father looked down that long driveway, hoping and begging and praying that his son was going to come home. And this day he looks out and he sees someone coming down the driveway. And you know what the father does? The father recognizes, that's my son. And he doesn't wait on the son to get home. The father takes takes off running and when he sees his son when he gets close to his son he embraces his son even though his son has been rolling around in the sand in the mud and the dirt he embraces him and not only that but you know what the father does he says bring out the best robe clothe him in the best robe you know what that means the best robe you know who would have owned the best robe the father that would have been his robe he says put the best robe on him right now put it on him and he says my son you're home let's get there and celebrate that's exactly what happens in Zechariah chapter 3 the high priest was guilty he was guilty and the angel of the Lord Christ in the Old Testament says hey man take off those dirty robes I've taken away your sin. Put on these robes of righteousness. This is a picture of the grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. And then look at verse 5. It says this, Then I said, Put on a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. Gave this charge to Joshua. What in the world does that mean? Give this charge to him. 
What this means is, this is your assignment. I've got something I want you to do. Now, before we read what the angel of the Lord says, this is what I want you to do, I want you to know what the angel of the Lord does not say. The angel of the Lord does not look and say, hey, look, because of your mistake, because of what you did, because of your behavior and poor choices, we're going to put you on probation for a year. Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, look, if we're going to put you on probation, and if you live up to the standard after maybe a year, we'll let you enter back into ministry at some sort of entry-level position. And then if you're really good for the next three years, we'll let you kind of work yourself up in the ranks. But if you have any doubt, if you have any sin, again, we're removing you from that position. We're taking you out of the game because that cannot be the character and nature of somebody who is serving God. The Bible doesn't say anything like that. Look at what the Bible says in verse 7. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Man, you got to see this. Again, we read over things sometimes and don't really understand what's happening. But here's what happens. The angel says, put fine garments on him. And then he says, return to my house and keep serving the Lord. Return to the temple and keep serving the Lord. I don't know who this is for, but it's for somebody because God put it on my soul. God put it in my spirit. But there's somebody here, and the devil's been telling you, you can't serve God anymore. You'll never have a good marriage. You'll never have a good relationship with your child because of what you did. You feel that way. But I'm here to tell you that if you'll return to the house of the Lord, there is a place for you. Don't listen to the accusations of the enemy. You listen to the word of God. Get back in the game. Keep loving people. Keep pointing people to Jesus Christ. You keep lifting up the name of God Almighty. You worship Him and Him alone, man. You and I, man, we got to clearly distinguish between the accusations of the enemy and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Man, there's two complete, those are two completely different things. Two completely different things. The devil accuses you, but the Spirit convicts you. Convicts you. And accusations, the devil's accusations, what they do is they drive you away from God. They drive you away from God. But conviction leads you to God. I need His grace. I need His mercy. Accusations make you feel shame, make you feel guilt, make you feel condemnation, make you feel dirty and distant. But conviction shows us our need for God. It pulls us into the goodness of God and into the grace of God. Whenever Satan accuses you, again, he wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel shame. He wants you to feel unlovable. He wants you to feel unworthy. But whenever the Spirit convicts you, again, he's trying to draw you into a deeper experience of God. The devil says that you can't change the devil says that you can't change you can't be forgiven for what you did but the spirit 
God's holy word says, hey, if you'll just confess your sin to God, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Hey, the devil tries to say, you're no good, but God's word says, you know what? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, we've got to distinguish between the accusations of the devil and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Step into the grace of God. And understand that God is good through and through. God's not trying to rub your sins in. He's not trying to rub your sins. That's what the devil does. Look what you did. God's not trying to rub your sins in. God's trying to blot your sins out. He's trying to blot them out. See, I'm wrapping up, but I love what one preacher said. He said, the devil knows your name. But he calls you by your sin. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God, however, knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. It's a big difference. Think about it. Remember Adam in the Garden of Eden? When Adam sinned, when Adam messed up, God didn't come walking through the garden and say, where are you, you big disappointment? Where are you, you mess up? Where are you, loser? What did God do walking in the garden? Adam called him by name. Adam, where are you? God, God knew, God knew his sin, but he called him by name. And I'm telling you, the devil knows your name, but he wants to call you by your sin. Listen to me. Don't listen to the accusations of the devil. Don't do it. Draw your sword. Draw the word of God. You say, devil, I will cut you. (laughs) I might have messed up, but I have asked for forgiveness. I have been forgiven. Devil, you leave me alone. Devil, don't make me call my advocate. Don't make me call my attorney because I got one who's better than Richard Schwartz. One call is all it takes for me to get Christ all up on you. That's who our advocate is. And you say, Satan, I'm convinced that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. How do I know that? Because of what Revelation, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39 says. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Not even you, Satan. Not even you. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You say, devil, you better take your accusations somewhere else. Ain't nobody got time for that. You silence the voices that are raised to accuse you. Folks, the devil is a liar. And you say, devil, I'm loved. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of the most high God. I have been set free. And the scripture says, whom the son sets free is free indeed. Folks, God is good. You got an accuser, but you also have an advocate. Have you called on his name? And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk.
But I do know that we're all in different places. And I know sometimes in my own life, I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. But I know in my own life that there are times where I do feel incredible guilt, incredible shame. And it's a guilt and shame that tries to push me away from God because that's not where the devil wants me to be. And if you'd say, Pastor, I feel that right now. You're a believer, but sometimes the enemy just tries to push you away from God. You say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me that that won't happen. Just lift your hand because I want to know I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for these individuals. I pray that you would just help them to understand the difference between your Holy Spirit, between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the accusations of the enemy. But as we continue to pray, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But I also wonder today if there's somebody here who knows that they have not been set free. Man, you feel unlovable. You feel as if you're unworthy. But I'm telling you, the Father is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come to Him so that He can take away your sin, so He can take away those filthy robes and cover you with His righteousness. He loves you so much He died on Calvary's cross to save you. And if you'd say today, I want to be saved, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Father, I just confess you as Lord right now. I confess you as Savior, and I thank you for saving me. And Father, I pray that you really would mold me into a new person. Father, I pray that the old would be gone and that the new would come. And that people would know that I'm yours by the way I live my life. Again, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, but if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ today, right where you are, would you just do me a favor and lift your hand so I can know, amen, amen, amen. Pray to receive Christ. Three, three people, amen. Praise God. God is so good. He loves each and every one of us. Father, we're thankful for new life. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sins. It's something truly to celebrate. And Father, I just ask that you would help each and every one of us as we continue to worship you right now, that you would help us to focus on you and how good you are. Father, help us not to entertain the voices of the enemy. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus.